What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. I remember that when Landon was on the podcast, he, he wanted to make sure we always said our names every time. Mm. Like, make sure you always say your names because there are people listening. They don't know who's who. Oh, right. And yeah, you yeah. don't know if they're a new viewer or not. They don't know your name or anything. And <laughs> it's been funny because, like, I, I've got I've forgotten to do that, like, the last probably four times. Really? <laughs> and so we get people coming notice. in, like, trying to, like, spell your name or say your name. And it's, like, oh, yeah. way wrong and stuff. <laughs> so I'm going to get back to that. Our names will be... Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, the, there will be there will be little cards that come out. You can read our names, see the spelling. You know who we are. I am Mike. This is Casey. I'm Casey. All right, we have some announcements to make, um, and, and and some things to talk about. First of all, huge thank you uh, for the just the the swell of new supporters on Patreon that came from the last podcast. Um, we had a, a pretty significant uh, increase. Um, Lots of people joining, and uh, we appreciate all of you. Um, until we hit the, the goal that we had talked about, um, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to bring the podcast back weekly, but <clears throat> to say thank you to all of you who are currently supporting, we will do an additional podcast episode once a month, specifically and, and, and <clears throat> privately for the patrons, so yeah. exclusive yep. to them. So we're going to record this podcast for the public channel, and then we're gonna do a second one afterwards that is uh, all the topics were chosen by patrons. And that's how we're gonna continue going until we hit that goal where we can bring it back weekly again. So if you wanna jump in on that, you wanna see that additional podcast, all it takes is, is joining for $1 a month on Patreon. There were some people who they don't like Patreon. They don't want to support Patreon specifically, the organization. It's understandable. Um, for, for understandable reasons. Yeah. Um, I'm looking into what I can offer as an alternative, whether that would be PayPal or... I don't There's like Subscribestar. Subscribestar or something. Other it, it's, just, it's just, I'm not sure how I'm going to manage the, the rewards yeah. between uh, different yeah, platforms. Yeah. I just haven't you, looked into it. Okay. I think Locals also, Locals.com. Yeah. YouTube has their own supporting thing as, they well, do as well, but yeah. if you don't want to support Patreon, you probably really don't <laughs> want to support YouTube or Google either. Yeah. So they take about half. So I'm looking into that. Um, I will try to have an answer to that maybe by the time the next podcast goes live. Cool. So anyways, um, just wanted to make that announcement real quick. Also, uh, we're going to be changing the structure uh, or, or maybe approach to the podcast a little bit starting next uh, podcast. Mm. Um, I think that our switch from like Dark Pixel to Resonant Arc, you know, we had a, a list of like a hundred different topic yes. ideas we wanted to talk about on the podcast. Yeah. And we've exhausted pretty much all of the interesting ones. The interesting ones. There are, <laughs> there are many others, but I just, I'm just not as passionate about yeah. it yet, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think the format has gotten a little tired. So we have an idea about how we want to uh, move forward and mix things up a little bit. Um, going forward. Uh, I think it's going to serve two purposes. One, it's going to change things up, you know, something kind of new or interesting or fresh to look at next time. Secondly, um, I think it will really stretch a topic out yeah. over many episodes and we can get even further in depth on things. So the thought is, is that we're going to pick a game to analyze from beginning to end. And we're going to break it down into sections or chapters and we'll do say 12 to 15 episodes on one game. Yeah. 
right? And we'll be playing it sequentially and going through it, but we're gonna come in with like, you know, a breakdown of, of how the storytelling is working there. We'll do game design as well. Um, do research into the development history, you know, like what inspired this section. Uh, really get into like the meat um, and, and the, the deeper layers of what's going on uh, in the games and really analyze them in depth. Um, so uh, we want to pitch a few ideas to you guys and then have you pick the one you want us to start with. So where there's gonna be a straw poll in the description of the video, go click on it and you can vote on which of these five games you want us to do first. We have eliminated Final Fantasy VII <laughs> for now. We'll do that one later. <laughs> we've later. talked enough about Final Fantasy VII, I think. <laughs> um, so we've chosen two Final Fantasy games, Final Fantasy X or Final Fantasy VIII. Then we've thought about doing Terranigma, um, Suikoden, Star Ocean 2. So, those are the five games. Go look in the straw poll, vote on the one you'd like to see us break down in depth. And like I said, it's not, there's not gonna be a set number of episodes. It's not gonna be like, we will always do 12 episodes. Some of them will require more, yeah. some of them less. And it all depends on the content. It depends on, um, like we've talked about potentially doing something like for Chrono Trigger, uh, that would probably not be, be as quite long as long as yeah. Chrono Cross. Sure, and <laughs> there's stuff to talk about in those yeah. games, but we're specifically trying to analyze the storytelling and the literary aspects of the games and stuff, so. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're gonna do. We'll still field questions. Um, uh, here and there, or, or maybe give some thoughts on like relevant news topics. But we're trying yeah. to get away from that a little bit more um, because, I don't know, I just don't find it as interesting personally to do. That may be something that um, ends up mostly just on our Patreon yeah. um, podcast, yeah. not, not the main podcast. Because Patreon will answer questions. If someone asked us a question about the news yesterday, well, that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, on Patreon, the Patreon exclusive podcasts will just field questions from you. And if you want us to talk about the news topics, that's probably where that will happen. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of our plan moving forward. So go vote on that. Um, now, as for what we're gonna be talking about today, we had a bunch of Patreon questions and uh, most of these were going to be going over on the, the Patreon podcast but there were two in particular that kind of tied together that we thought would be an interesting uh, launching point to have a discussion here on, on the main podcast um, before we move into our new format next week. Yeah. Um, the first part of this comes from Chris Krauss, and he's talking about uh, what he calls death of the innovator. Um, so he says, I started thinking about how almost every great modern storyteller that changed their respective medium has at some point seemed to lose it to lose the creative spark that made them special and in many cases seem to, uh, people seem to misunderstand, or, or they, the, the creators, seem to misunderstand the very things their audience loved or appreciated about the original work. He lists George Lucas, J.K. Rowling, he talks about D&D, uh, &D, um, uh, mm. Game of Thrones. You could even make a case that Sakaguchi doesn't seem to have the same touch anymore. Are creatives doomed to lose their prowess in the same way athletes age out of their profession? Or is it the case 
Uh, or is this a case of the line between genius and madness being so thin? <laughs> uh, maybe also an issue of how the innovators or innovations of these creators lead to the form changing beyond them. Uh, is it all the above? Who knows? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And then the, the second part that we, that we liked that sort of like uh, went right alongside this, when stories become too famous for their own good is kind of the title of it, right? He lists Star Wars, um, uh, Alien, Predator, Terminator franchises that have been milked to death, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, being turned into more of an Avengers Endgame type of plot with a particularly distracting case of meta-commentary. I don't know if I agree that the meta-commentary, I just wanna make, make that clear. I'm not saying that the meta-commentary, but a lot of people feel that way. Not disagreeing with Jonah, just saying, I just don't know if I, I am on board 100% that that was the intention. Um, meta-commentary which only serves to break one's immersion, okay. So I, I felt like, and, and Casey kind of felt like, those two things might kind of go together yeah. pretty well. Death of the Innovator could be the reason why fan franchises are doomed to fail after a certain point. When they when become too, too, too yeah. big and they lose their touch. Sure. This is something I have thought a lot about mm. um, because we're, we're at the right age for that, I think, where it's, it doesn't feel like that long ago that we were first introduced to something like Final Fantasy yeah. VII or Star Wars or, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it was our entry point into a mm. franchise that we have followed for 20-ish years, years yeah. right? Yeah. And like we, as a lot of people who watch the podcast are probably a little fatigued about, we're not generally all that hyped about it anymore. We have problems <laughs> with the new direction, we have problems, right? Yeah. So we're in this place where we're seeing a lot of things we grew up with sort of like come into the hands of new creators yes. who weren't necessarily the originals. And a lot of people criticized, say, Lucas for the prequel mm -hmm. trilogy having lost his touch and right. wanting it to go a different way, but then they get the, what they- And then Disney buys it and, and they're and like, it, oh, it's all corporate. And, and, yeah. and, and it feels like the magic is lost. I think yeah. I can say that I have experienced that now for um, at least half a dozen, a handful mm -hmm. of franchises yeah. I loved as a kid, Yeah, right? One thing that was left off of this list was would be Peter Jackson. Yeah, and oh, that's a great- Lord of the Rings. Great example. To, to The Hobbit. Yes. I don't think I need to say more. So, with that being the case, um, and, and the fact that like, I have been like, just obsessively, working with like every ounce of energy and free time that I have to finish this novel I've been working on for 18 mm -hmm. years, yeah, yeah. all the energy and just emotion. Dude, what and if Death of the Innovator happened five years ago for you? <laughs> That's what I'm worried you, you about. You gotta put this thing out, man. <laughs> you gotta get it out. Because if George Lucas held on to Star Wars till he was 70, he'd have changed it until it wasn't good yeah. anymore, you know? What, what, what I guess I have felt, I don't want to come off as being like mm. dramatic, like overly dramatic. But putting aside like personal struggles that I've been through in my life, whether mm. it's death of family members or loss of friends or sure. um, financial struggles or whatever it might be, right? Mm. Outside of those like immediately impacting your survival in life or like uh, relationships with people who are close to you. Writing this novel has been the most difficult strenuous mental task I've mm. ever undertaken and it's not 
close by a hundred thousand billion light years. It is so mentally draining and just you, you, you and what I find interesting and why I resonate so much with creators from when I do the, the Final Fantasy retrospectives um, research mm-hmm. and I find out about, or even Chrono Trigger, and I find out Yasunori Mitsuda talking about how sick he got uh, during yes. development, yeah, yeah. how he didn't sleep at all, yeah. how he developed stomach ulcers, his stress was so high, you know, he, t- he was like a heavy smoker. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the energy put into a thing to be like, I'm going to do the very, very best work I can possibly do mm. and just perfectionistic about it. No one can do that forever. How can you repeat that? <laughs> I know, seriously, seriously. <laughs> and I, I, have, I have a similar thing where I, I tend to work in bursts, in sprints, yeah. in, in I do a ton of work in like three hours or so. And I, you know, an employer might come up to me and say, hey, dude, how come you can't work that hard? All day. I'm like, I literally (laughs) physically cannot do it. Uh, But if you're going to put in that much effort into something um, and your whole life, like you're basically putting your life on hold so that you can do this thing, how long can you do that and how often can you do that? Are you you really going to do that again? Like that, that's just crazy. I know because I brought up Peter Jackson. Mm -hmm. He did not want to direct The Hobbit. He didn't want to. He did not want to. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to put that into it. The producers showed up and said, yeah, Guillermo del Toro doesn't want to do it because we took too long. Can you do it now? And he was like, no. And finally they said, what if we pay you tons of freaking money? <laughs> and he, uh, he got you know, back-end deals, like 4% off the back-end sales and all that. Yeah. Once, you know. And he, he, you know, the movie's made money, so that's fine. But, and that was the goal, corporate goal of the mm-hmm. producer, production studio. But he didn't want to direct it, and I think that's why. He, he knew that how much it took out of him early on. Remember he, he wasn't he like he didn't wear shoes on set and he nope. like lost tons of weight. He wasn't looking good by the yeah. end of Lord of the Rings. Um, and you know, he, he definitely sat on that director's chair a lot more in The Hobbit mm-hmm. than he did in Lord of the Rings, like physically, literally. He, you know, you see the behind the scenes and he's just kinda sitting down. <laughs> and I don't blame him. He didn't want to do this. He didn't ask for this. They just showed him so much money that he could literally could not say no. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I would probably be the same way. But he was like, fine, I'll do it. But I'm, there's no way I'm going to give it the same effort that I did mm-hmm. for the other one. Well, think about, first of all, the, the way they shot Lord of the Rings, where they mm-hmm. shot all three movies at once. All three at there's once, There's all yeah. these choices they made about how to go about shooting it mm-hmm. that seem kind of crazy. Oh, absolutely. And everybody on set yeah. was exhausted by the process. Yes, yeah. It was so much work. For everybody in every yep. department, but and how meticulous he was every scene where he, he would do like 20, 30 yeah. takes of one scene just to make sure that he would get it how he liked it. And there are a lot of actors, including Viggo Mortensen and Ian McKellen and several others, have been like, I I would prefer not to work with him again. You know, yeah, because he is so meticulous about that. But that was his crazy genius side. I doubt that The Hobbit, I doubt there are any scenes in The Hobbit that, that they had to do 20 retakes for yeah. because it wasn't working for him. Well, I the, doubt it. I seriously doubt it. The, um, the, the time crunch uh, uh, for finishing, wrapping The Hobbit's production yeah. was much more, mm-hmm. um, what do you call that? Like, they, they didn't have as much time. Yeah. Or to plan, especially, right? Like to do pre production and, and that's and annoying all kinds of things. Because it w- after the first movie is when they decided that they were going to do a third movie. <laughs> like, yeah. They, they clearly hadn't 
planned, planned this out, out properly, first. including for the VFX theme, especially yeah. in I think the second one, the second movie had, they did not have enough time. Now they focused on smog, which was smart. They did what they could there. Um, Battle of Five Armies, though, my gosh. And it was like, was it six months later? I can't remember if it was a whole year later or not that that one came out. Yeah. Um, maybe it was. But you can see the yeah. oh the, my gosh. the lack of time yeah. being an issue yep. on Especially like, the because they were innovating still. And, and Peter Jackson, as opposed to doing the innovations he did with Lord of the Rings, he was like, hey, my new innovation is going to be just technology. 48, 48 frames, frames per, per second, second, 3D. 3D, oh, you know, all choice. digital, which most of the big movies, at least, you know, eight years ago, were not shot all in digital. They kind yeah. of are now. But he was like, all right, that's going to be my innovation. And, you know... I can just uh, sit back because I, I own Weta and they're <laughs> the ones that are going to do it for me, basically. And that, I don't know, that that was the well, right choice. Well, and it was really hard to watch some of the behind the scenes on The Hobbit where he would just tell everyone to break for like 20 minutes. Yeah, well, while he would he just think. essentially storyboarded the sequence yeah. they were about to shoot right now in his head. And that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. For a Hollywood production that's $100 million that's per movie. a mess. Right? So I think yeah. it was 500 for all three. So we're talking like $170 million per film. And that means per scene, we're talking like $20 million, yeah. $15 million. And he's just sitting there making it up on set. And I don't, and this is the thing, we aren't ripping on Peter Jackson because we recognize that he didn't want to do it. Yes. Basically, this big business just showed up and said, here, we'll give you money if you sit in the director's chair for three movies. Yeah. And it was like, okay, and, he, and I don't fault him for it. It's not his fault. You never, never hire somebody who doesn't want to do the job mm. for a job that's going to be that expensive mm. that you want done. Never do it. If somebody says, I'm not your guy, please, I don't want to do it. Fine, you can offer them enough money to where they will eventually say yes. Yes. But you shouldn't because the the, the passion's not there. It's just not there. Yeah. Clearly, he had some serious mental fatigue. Yeah, and that's that's kind of like, okay, so how did that happen, right? Yeah, we talk yeah. about Well, it was just so hard. The production of The Lord of the Rings being as hard, as strenuous, yeah, yeah. as just like... And everyone and Draining agrees. as yeah. it was. They all right? say it. But... The passion that drove mm. everybody on that production was what led to all the Academy Awards yes. and the critical acclaim yeah. and, and just these amazing, amazingly well-structured movies on yeah. all accounts. I mean, right. from top to bottom. Not to say that they're perfect, but y- you don't get much closer yeah. to it on yeah. a production of that scale with that yeah. many people for like a fantasy right. film. Well, like... Um, I think it was the first fantasy film to ever win the yeah. Best Picture Academy Awards. Now, I don't give two fetches about the Academy Awards. I just have to throw that out there right now. <laughs> but it still says something that um, a genre that is often looked down upon, and video game people can yeah. can relate to this, yeah. when a genre that's often looked down upon by other artists is finally recognized as being the best of its kind, in at least for that year. Yeah, And it's like that, hey, I mean... The Oscars are, are not not great. I don't love them. Yeah. But they're, that's when you know that they're actually saying something is when they do something like that, where it's yeah. like they don't do that every year. Yeah, and it speaks to the energy and the passion put into that. Yeah, by everybody. Right? It, it was yeah. as high a, a level of dedication as you can find. So when you have 
taken mm-hmm. 10 years off of your life to create your magnum opus. Yeah, that's true because Peter Jackson, <laughs> he had written these movies like mid-90s, like a way before he yeah. was a- ever able to produce them. And he had showed them around to tons of different studios. Mm-hmm. They all said no. Mm-hmm. And he reworked the script and everything over and over and over till finally New Line said yeah. yes. And it was like the, the work of his life isn't only completely just in the movies. It's in the... The, what came before the movies. Yep. It's in all the blood, sweat, and tears of him being on the phone and going and pitching to all these people who just would tell him no over and over. Yeah. That's another thing that's really exhausting. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where the concept of magnum opus comes from. It's like yeah. the thing that you dedicated your life to that was like ultimately the greatest work mm. or, or, or result of the labor of your hands or whatever yes. it is, right? It was like the one thing that you just put everything into and it was just right. And repeating that, how, how, do, you, how do you even... What, what's the plural of magnus o, magnum opus? Is <laughs> it magnum opi? Opi, opuses. opuses? There's a reason why I don't know that. It's because <laughs> it never happened. It's very rare that somebody is able to deliver two lifetimes work in one lifetime yeah. of that quality. Yeah. I don't know. And maybe you could look at... Um, certain actors, but a lot of that is on the director and scriptwriter. Right. They they show up and play the part well and you can have several well played parts like Harrison Ford, you know, he's known for not just one, but like five different roles that he played, or Johnny mm. Depp or all. But for the most part, for the majority of art, it, there is one thing that they because otherwise it can't be considered your magnum opus yeah. if you didn't put everything into it. You and if you did two magnum really opi <laughs> <laughs> if you did two of them, then it's like, oh, well, then you only put half your life into one of them, so neither of them yeah. would be. And, and that's not to say that you know you create one like amazing masterpiece, and everything else you mm-hmm. make is crap. Like, yeah. you can still have a, a great like resume or, or library of work, mm. um, especially for authors. I think there's a lot of authors like George Orwell and mm. uh, gosh, I always do this. 2001 A Space Odyssey author was Arthur C. Clarke. No, Clark. Arthur C. Clarke, like every book of his I've read, feels yeah. like it's of the same freaking quality. It's wow. just really, really good. That's so crazy. there are ways to manage it. We're not saying sure, that this sure. is like a one shoe fits all sort mm-hmm. of thing. But it does tend to, it does, there is a pattern to be seen mm. that a lot of creators will hit something and just like it's lightning in a bottle. It's just everything works and and, and we can talk about George Lucas with this. He was in the oh hospital during the yeah. production of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, like Yasunoni Matsuda with Chrono Trigger. Uh, there, there's so many artists who, who maybe take that approach where they just, they put everything into yeah. it. And they can never really like capture that magic again. And I feel like I understand that. And I haven't even released a single thing yet. <laughs> but I can understand yeah. that the process is so difficult when you have like a certain standard you're trying to hit or when when you want it to be just right mm. so badly and it's so personal to you mm. that like once it's finished like it's just this weight that is lifted but then like and it's not that Peter Jackson hated filmmaking after that. Oh, I don't think he made several. Obviously he's he's still yeah. tons tons of passion for the craft. Yeah. But why didn't he put the same level 
of effort and meticulous energy right. into The Hobbit that he did in The Lord of the Rings, I don't know if he could survive a second no, round. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so. And this is another thing I wanted to bring up, though, especially since you're kind of bringing this into a little bit more personal with you and your book. Yeah. That line where it says, where it talks about, is this maybe a symptom of the thin line between genius and madness? Yeah. What do you think about that in terms of... I think a lot of people aspire, it's a lot of creatives, aspire to be geniuses. Yeah. But geniuses are... Unless you're going to diminish the word and call everybody a genius, then what, who's a genius anyway? Everyone's so special, yeah. It, it, people, they're only really, really special genius creators far and few between. Yes. Right? There, there are very few absolute like masters of a craft. There are lots of great uh, writers or filmmakers mm. or whatever who are really, really, really skilled, very, very good. Everything that they make seems to have a certain level of, um, of polish or, or, or an approach that just like is exciting or, or interesting. I would, I would classify someone like Chris Nolan in that category. Uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Even though Chris Nolan has some films that are among my favorites, mm. there are just some things about his craft yeah. that don't quite get all the way there. Right. right. I don't think he's great with character. I, just, I right. don't think he writes characters well. Right. And that's the one weakness mm. in, in what he does. But I think that his ideas <laughs> are mm. so interesting yeah. that it sort of covers up that weakness, right? So, like, there are lots of great uh, artists. There are even more good artists, right? Right. So it's not like you have to be a genius in order to have a successful career or to make something that has a, a, a wide appeal and that, like, touches the lives of a lot of people and mm. has a lot of influence. I mean, there are only so many people that are going to hit that category. Right. But if that's what you aspire to, and I think there are a lot of artists that do. They, mm. they, they want to be a master at what mm. they're doing. They, they, they're trying their hardest at that. And that's an admirable goal that very few people will ever actually hit. But at least yeah. the goal will push you as far as you can go. Right, right. Um, there's just very few people that are going to achieve something like that. Yeah. Where 300 years from now, people will still be talking about you. Mm. Shakespeare was obviously yes. one. Who, who are other playwrights from his time you've ever heard of? It's just one guy. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm you. sure there were great playwrights. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> In fact, some might say there, even, there were some better than Shakespeare, yep. but we don't know their names. Exactly. So I think that because there is at least some tendency to just put everything into it, that it can, it can very quickly and, uh, sort of just... You just don't have it anymore. There was a great... Um, mm. I, I can't quote it from the Silmarillion, but remember the the the, the Vala um, who created the trees. What's her name? Oh, uh, I don't remember. Uh, can't remember it right now. Anyways, she's the one who creates the trees of Valinor. Yeah, that yeah. light the world. Sort I of. can't remember her name at all. Um, and uh, anyways, Tolkien basically describes there that that was like the work of her life to have created mm. the light in those trees. That there was nothing like it. And when right. they were sucked out by Ungoliant yeah. and, and the, the, the Valar are begging um, uh, Fëanor to mm. give him back the, the Silmaril, Silmaril so yeah. that she could try to restore that light in mm. the trees again, 
and he refuses, right. she basically says, I, this is a work I can never replicate she again. She can't do it again. I yeah. cannot make that again. It, right. I t- it took too much out of me mm. to make that. I think, I mean, I can't speak for Tolkien, but I think that there mm. is a sense of personal yeah. truth in that, right? Well, because like, you know that after Lord of the Rings came out, that every publisher on the planet was like, Write a sequel. Write a sequel. I'll publish it for you. I'll give you 99% of the profits. Just let me publish your sequel. And he was, he just said no to everybody. He never really did it again. And he never released The Silmarillion in his lifetime. Right. Even in his lifetime, he never released it. It had to be compiled and sort of like finished by his son. Yeah. Before. So I think that there is a sense there that there are some things in life you do Mm -hmm. and you just, you just nail it and you put everything into it once. Yeah. And you can't really ever achieve that again, but that's okay, right? It doesn't yeah. mean you can't make some really good works in the same field or maybe you change directions and try another medium or something, but right. it doesn't mean you can't still do great work. But it's very rare to have more than one magnum opus, like you're saying mm-hmm. magnum opi. Magnum opi, to have magnum op, opi. <laughs> so. Um, I have a thought relating to that, though, yeah. if you're if you have the moment. So you got genius. There's a thin line between genius and madness. Um, but in some ways, I think in order to be considered that type of an innovator, like that great of an innovator, and yeah. to, to get that level of exposure, um, you, you need both. Yeah. Because to put your entire life, that much energy of your life, into something inanimate, right, takes a, some degree of madness in mm. general, right? Where it's like, you're crazy. You know, you're crazy. <laughs> to spend this much time on something. Yeah, yeah, and there's a reason most people don't do that. It's like, well, the work of somebody's life, well, everyone has something that they've worked harder on than anything else. But yeah. that doesn't necessarily, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about somebody going out of their way beyond and, you know, doing stuff, basically furthering the possibilities of what humans can do, um, you know, by basically dedicating their entire life to something like that. Um, that is like a whole different level. And so I think it takes some type of madness in order to do that in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're throwing your life away, man. (laughs) At least in part, not completely, but in part, you know, you're throwing away part of your life by giving it to art or something like that. Or like, um, I think Kobe Bryant said this when he had retired that he, because when he retired, remember he had, his finger was broken, he had no cartilage in his knees, yeah. his back hurt, his, his, body his shoulder. Destroyed. He gave his body to the sport of basketball. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's like, cool. Why would anyone do a that? A lot of elite athletes. I mean, like, yeah, have you seen what players? Charles Barkley looks like? Oh right my lately? gosh. Like, <laughs> Basically, every athlete, as they get older, they, they, you can tell they're not yeah. at all what they used to be. And if they just didn't play that sport, they'd be way different healthier. today. Yeah. They'd be healthier. Yeah. They would have, you know, they'd be able to walk. Like, I think Allen Iverson, this is why he had to retire early, his knees were so bad. Basically, after every game, he would be, like, screaming in pain because he couldn't walk. Like, yeah. he can run, undo all this crazy stuff in a game, but as soon as he's done with it, he literally can't walk anymore. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's just wild. And so you look at that as an outsider, well, for anybody watching and looking at it, being like, holy cow, that's insane. These people are crazy. Um but at the same time, that's what they did. That's how they furthered human existence. That's how they. That's what they provided for everyone else. That's the art and the mark that they left on the world. Yeah. And um, most people will not leave any mark on the world. And a lot of people who achieve like that level mm-hmm. of acclaim or success or whatever are usually like very 
A type personalities, yes. red type personalities, yeah, yeah. Very driven, mm-hmm. and and they tend to not be good at managing other aspects of their life. For, sure, for creating a yes. balanced yeah. life, or even really yeah. a very happy life. Mm-hmm. They tend. Well, Kobe to, Bryant would talk about how he has no friends. Yeah, like all the time, he'd be like, "Yeah, I don't, I can't keep friends at all." Yeah, it's a weakness. Because I mean, and, and he and Jordan were really similar in how their mm-hmm. their mindset was to approach to the game. Yeah. They turned off a lot of people. I don't know if you saw the Last Dance documentary. I saw part of it, yeah. Um, that was fascinating. There was uh, a game where Horace Grant uh, didn't, didn't play well in 1992 no. or something. And Michael told the, the hostess, like the air, the air hostess on the plane ride back oh, yeah. to Chicago, uh, told her not to feed Horace Grant his meal on the plane. And wow. I mean, he, he would go to such lengths to almost humiliate or embarrass yeah. or put a fear in his teammates if they didn't perform to the, le- the standard he was setting for them. That there's, it, it's, a, it's a controversial thing. It's like, did it work ultimately? It seemed to. They yeah. won six times in a row. Yes, very, very, yeah. <laughs> and they, when and, he was there. and he pushed them in the way that. Yeah he felt was effective. I mean, Horace Grant did not take kindly to that. They had a big fight about yeah. it, obviously. But, uh, and, and it even shows, there's some footage in the practices where he's, he's just belittling some of like the bench players and stuff. Just yeah. like. But that, that mentality worked for himself. Right. That's how he operated. And that was why when it came down to it, as soon as the situation was right, obviously, like in in the eighties, he wasn't getting past the Celtics or the Pistons, or right. because the team the, yeah. wasn't good enough. Right. So to some extent, he he can't do it all himself. Right. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is that once they were in that position, they were at the top. Mm. He didn't relinquish it, right. and it's not that they. A lot of people will argue they didn't have competition that was good enough. I don't think it was that. I, they played real tough games there against so. Utah in, that, in those Houston, finals. And, yeah. and, and against, um, against uh, uh, Phoenix and stuff. Phoenix, yeah. Um, Barkley, you are just talking about Barkley. Yeah. But in the moment where they needed a play, he always made it. He just yeah. willed himself there. And there's a certain mindset that it takes to have that level of discipline, dedication, um, ambition. Yeah that makes you really good at achieving goals and getting to the highest level mm-hmm. and really bad at maintaining relationships. Yes, and doing anything else that other people think is important. <laughs> yeah. Anything else. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I think um, there was a guy, there's a stock market analyst guy named Jim Cramer. I think his name's Jim Cramer. Uh, he was being interviewed by David Letterman once <clears throat> and Letterman asked him, because people he has this section of his show where people just call in and ask him about different companies and stocks and stuff, and he gives them his advice immediately, like without even thinking. He's just like, "Oh, they're they're rated this. They have this much in assets, and you know, be careful. And this is how they've performed over the past few years. You know, I wouldn't invest in them now. Wait for another six months till the next earnings report comes out." And it's like. Uh, David Letterman asked him, how do you just know all this stuff off the top of your head? Mm. And he goes, well, Dave, there's a secret. I know literally nothing about anything else. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was so funny. And I, this was like 2005 or something. And I remember like, I was laughing so hard at that. But at the same time, 
I don't know how much he's exaggerating when he yeah. says that. Obviously, there's some amount of exaggeration there. But this guy, like, you got to watch him on, I think it's Mad Money was his show. Like, he's just, he's crazy knowledgeable about what he knows about. Mm. And, you know, maybe not so much about literally anything else. Um, but you, you've got to be just, like, like borderline crazy. Mm. Going that heavy into one thing and let forgetting about everything else, yeah. letting everything else fall apart in your yeah. life, yep. and and just going hard on that. Now, as far as Michael Jordan goes, when he started playing baseball, right, ninety three, ninety four, mm. something like that, he, he I remember he, this was in a book he wrote. That, that was the first time that he had ever realized how hard it is for his teammates. Uh, for other people to just not be perfect at whatever you want to do, yep. you know, he wanted to go. He thought he could just step up and be in baseball. And like, oh, discipline, hard work, I'll do it. He couldn't do it. Nope. So Dennis Rodman also. This is funny. Dennis Rodman has said that he never ha- has ever in his life had a full conversation with Michael Jordan. Nope. Never. Nope. And he's like, Michael would never talk to me except tell me what to do on the court. And I think this is part of it. Pistons were a good reason why. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. We're getting into sports now. But the Pistons were a huge reason why MJ couldn't win yep. early on. Do you hear the story? Uh, we're way off topic. <laughs> I promise we will get back. We're talking about video games in next a second. Time. <laughs> but did you hear the story about in that 98 season, Rodman was like just so mentally like overwhelmed, depressed, whatever, by the, the pressure, the, the press, all this stuff. Yeah. He, he like basically said, I have to take a vacation in the middle of the season. And Phil Jackson was like, fine, you can go to Vegas this weekend, but like you have to be back at this time Uh on Monday or whatever. He did not come back. Oh my God. So Michael Jordan flew to Vegas and freaking like pulled him out of his hotel and flew him back to practice. Oh, dude. (laughs) Anyways. Oh my gosh. That type of A personality. Yeah, I wouldn't do something like that. I'd be like, well, whatever. Uh, that type of A personality, it's not always the case that those are the only like ultra successful yeah. people. I mean, there are a lot of like quieter personalities, uh, more reserved types. Yeah. Uh, a lot of artists are that way, actually, who well, that's true, yeah. reach like a large level of success. George mm. Lucas was not that type of person. That's true. Like, you're right. You're right. He wasn't like the greatest director ever because right. his direction confused <laughs> the, the, the cast. He, he had a hard time telling people what to do. Yeah. He would just be like, uh, uh, faster, more energy. Yeah, yeah, and 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 um, like, Mark Hamill's mm. like, I don't even know what you mean by that. And so right. he would just say it faster, you know. Say but like, the line faster. <laughs> no, 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 faster, more energy, Mark. <laughs> and so it's, it's not always the case, but it is common that you see. I mean, like Steve Jobs, Hironobu Sakaguchi Shh. is one of those people. He doesn't come off that way no. in interviews. But there's a, here's a really great quote if I can find it real quick. From, I think you'll find a Sakaguchi. lot of the successful Japanese. Um, Leaders were like that. There's a culture in Japan of uh, of being very like tough that. bosses. Yes, right. They have very difficult bosses, and it's not uncommon for people to work 60, 70 hours a week, and their boss still tell them they're not working enough. Yeah, I got that, that's go common in a, Japan. Got to go back a little bit here, but it's a great quote from Sakaguchi about just the type of reputation he had within in Square, and it was actually true even going back to the first Final Fantasy because he was trying to pitch Final Fantasy mm-hmm. to the company, as like all the company gathered together to hear pitches from the different production leads, the different mm-hmm. team leads. He was team A lead, uh, Hiromichi Tanaka was team B lead, and they had another guy on the C team. And he pitches Final Fantasy, and like 
three people volunteer to work with him. Mm -hmm. And he said, I think it's in large part because I was, I was considered to be a tough boss who didn't make anything successful. So like, <laughs> it, uh, why would I go work for that guy who's just gonna like give me a hard time and the game won't even be a success anyways. Mm -hmm. um, so he says, um, I want to say this. When I had colleagues who would come in at one or two in the afternoon, okay, some context for that because that seems mm -hmm. like a very late time to come into work. When they were really early on at Square, it was not like a super well-organized company. They wouldn't okay. didn't run things very professionally. They'd stay up all night drinking okay. and <laughs> right. going to the arcades and things like yeah, that, yeah. and then come into work, you know, kind of in the afternoon or, mm -hmm. or early more or late morning the next day. So that, anyways, that's that's why one or two. Okay. But uh, when I had colleagues who would come in at one or two in the afternoon, I'd tell them the following: Be here by 11 a.m. Don't leave before 10 p.m. Come in on Saturday. Come in on Sunday. If you've got free time to think about dates or movies, you can think about events for the game. I wrapped my knuckles on the desk with each admonition, and after that, we'd end up making our deadlines. <laughs> when new people joined the Final Fantasy team, I'd tell them, we're all aiming for Koshin here, which is, I guess, a, a really prestigious um, like high school baseball tournament in Japan. Mm, oh, okay. So it's like... Cool. One of those things where it's like the top level, right. like baseball, high school baseball players, mm. like dream of playing in that Koshin tournament. Koushin. Koushin. Koushin tournament. So he was that type of personality, right? Like just this driven, ambitious, like think only about work and like push people all the way to the <clears throat> max. That's rough, man. And a lot of times, some, I'll, I'll say a lot of times, but not like all of the time. Mm. That's what it takes. Mm. to really achieve yeah. that level of success. Otherwise, you might just fall into one of those good creators or even yeah. great creators, good, but not great. like all-time great yeah. creators, masters of something. And that's not to say uh, that Sakaguchi is that necessarily. That's not that there's not weaknesses mm -hmm. in, in things that he's done. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not convinced that he is I'm going to put him in the same category as like George Orwell or something for mm. his medium. Mm. Yeah, I think you could make an argument there right. that he was because he changed in, in many well, ways. Well, in terms like of how, innovation, we're talking about being yeah, an innovator. Innovators, oh, yeah. how JRPGs Huge. were made yeah. by, uh, by others that came after him. There's mm. arguments to be made, but I'm not going to argue that one way or another today. Mm. I'm just saying that a lot of time that type of personality is what gets people there, but at what cost, yeah, right? Yeah. At what cost right. to your health? at what cost to your relationships, at yep. what cost to your life balance, at what cost. And so some people that cost is too high. Yeah. And they're totally content with just not getting to that level and just enjoying other things in life. Right. So now bridging off of that into talking about like when franchises then become too famous or too big for their own good. Right. Yeah, when they... Um what was the, there was a specific, what was the question? The specific wording of that question was interesting. When franchises... Um, when stories become too famous for their own good, Star Wars has been reduced to a mere product okay. now. The Alien, Predator, Terminator franchises have been milk to death. I FF7 think remake. I have some, okay. So um, it usually comes on the back of a generational creator or something like that. Sure, Who yeah. makes something that just breaks through and 
reaches this level of fame and popularity mm. that is off the charts. And that's when, that's when the, the, the money people step in and they say, there it is. There's yeah. the thing that we can, for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 yeah. years, cash in lots of money on, right? Yeah. And a lot of times they take advantage of creators who are not so savvy on the business and legal side of things. Yeah. Yeah. They sell all their rights away yep. and lose all control of the IP. And yeah. some are smart enough not to do that. And to George Lucas's like credit, he never gave those rights away until the Disney deal. Recently. Until someone offered many billions of dollars. Yeah. yeah. But like, even like at the time that he was making those movies, like he had disputes with 20th Century Fox. He had, yep. and, but he always kept creative control and license yeah, over Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and that's even harder to do. So I mean, among yeah. of all the achievements that he made, mm. regardless of your feelings about him as an artist, mm. like his level of competency as an artist or whether a lot of his success came from the collaborations of the other maybe better directors surrounding him or yeah, yeah. people who kept Other him in writers, check early yeah. on. We could have that argument forever. But what he, what he somehow pulled off was a, creating a franchise as globally enormous as Star Wars and keeping it for mm -hmm. himself until he was for sure ready to yeah. get rid of it. That almost never happens. <laughs> and even then, he still kind of regretted give, getting rid of it. Yeah, and, and I don't <laughs> blame him, especially for something that was his <clears throat> life's work, yeah. right? Um, but it, it tends to be the case that with a breakthrough, this has happened with Mass Effect, this mm -hmm. has happened with <laughs> Prince of Persia for me, this has mm -hmm. happened with Final Fantasy for me. I know a lot of you still like it. I'm not saying you're invalid mm -hmm. or that you're wrong, but for me. Um, this has happened with Star Wars, this has happened with Lord of the Rings. At least for the movies, um, yeah, yeah. For the movie franchise. Uh, and what appears to be some troubling news about the Amazon oh series gosh. that they're making. I know. With possible sex and nudity in it. Like, what the freak's going on there? Uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can list just a, a dozen franchises that were really important to me growing up or at some point in my life that were really good and then they just really tanked somehow. And... yeah. It usually happens when the, the rights or the license to that thing, this isn't the case with a lot of video game companies because Final Fantasy was always Square's property, never belonged right. to Sakaguchi. It's hard to make technically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? Same with Mass Effect. Mass Effect was yeah. a Bioware thing. It wasn't technically, I forget the name of the writer, but he's really good. Yeah. Um, I, I've read some other stuff that he's done. He's just a great writer. And, and But it, it, this tends to happen when the innovative mind, the sort of like creator, the guy who mm. like this is the, the genesis of this world idea, whatever it is. Steve Jobs with Apple. Um, regardless of your feelings about Apple, right. it's quality, um, we call it quality testing, quality assurance. Yeah, yeah. Has taken a sharp nosedive yes. since he died. Yeah. Apple's products are made in larger quantities faster and they make more mm -hmm. money because of that. Yep. But the, the quality of the product has yeah. sharply declined. Especially relative to the competitors. Because he was yeah. huge on that. Yeah. Right? He, he was very adamant about yep. that particular thing. So a lot of times when those innovators, creators, the, the, the genesis of the idea or the world or whatever 
leaves the project, passes away, um, is forced out, mm -hmm. loses the rights, whatever it might be, the magic tends to go away in a sense. Yep. And what is the reason for that? Let's maybe examine Mass Effect, right? Mm -hmm. I want to I say his name, the writer. Let me look it up real quick. Mass Effect. Because he, he was involved in Mass Effect 1 and 2 and then partway through 3. But mm. then he left Bioware mm. during the middle of Mass Effect 3's development. Oh, really? And notice that Mass Effect 3 is when people started having problems with Mass Effect. Yes. The ending, right? Mm -hmm. um, creator. His name is Drew Karpishin. Oh, yeah. Um, of course, they also have Preston... Wadamaniak, I, I, I think he was one of the founders of Bioware. Many oh, of the okay. Bioware founders are no longer with the company too. Right, didn't way. Bioware get Bioware get purchased or uh, semi? It's like an EA, yeah, EA like owned that. thing <clears throat> at this point now. Um, so like second party, kind of, yeah. That weird, yeah. So, anyways, <clears throat> Mass Effect and Mass Effect Two have just are just phenomenally well written. Mm. Um, the the worlds are fascinating. I, I would say I think I've said this before in the past. That outside of like Tolkien's universe, oh, yeah. that the Mass Effect world, universe, whatever you want to call it, is one of the most rich hmm. and, and interesting to like just explore the lore of it yeah. that I've personally experienced, that I've ever found. Oh, I think it's fascinating too. Um, yeah. I would just pour through those like, uh, like those analogs, those like data yeah, yeah, yeah. Like entries yeah. to just learn about you know, humanity getting to the moon and discovering... Um, you know, the technology there that led them to the mass relay, the that relay. basically made them become part, and then they yeah. had the war with the, with the Turians after that, yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of led them into the, the galactic sort of civilization of all the different alien races. Like, just like and how they're, they're still not like respected because we're such a new yeah. addition. But we're, we're advancing faster than everyone, yeah, so there's some jealousy yeah. involved yeah. in that. And, and um, uh, all the different races, like the, the, you know, like where they come from, you know, what their cultures are like. Yeah. Well, that's the first time I'd ever heard of a methane-based life. Form yeah. And what that even means. Yeah. You know, then it's you like research carbon-based. Yeah. Life carbon doesn't based. have that to be yeah. carbon-based. It cool. could be methane-based. Like, well, that's crazy. But you got to wear a special suit, apparently, if yeah. you're gonna like function with yeah. you know on other planets. But uh, I didn't even know that was possible. And it was that game that like introduced me to that. And that's like scientifically like a thing. Yeah. It's, it's really, really fascinating yeah. science fiction yeah. that feels grounded, that has like all of this stuff that just immerses you into a, a world that is convincing and believable. And it's just absolutely well written yeah. on all counts, despite the fact that it has all these open dialogue trees and all these mm -hmm. ways that it can become complicated beyond measure. <laughs> and, and there's some awkwardness to that yeah, maybe. Yeah. But like... Again, despite its weaknesses, mm -hmm. like the strengths of it are so overwhelming that it's just, it easily covers up those problems. And then you get to Mass Effect 3 and an ending that just doesn't feel like it really flowed with like what was set up in the past. Yeah. It just seems like someone else took over here mm. or, or, or tried to complete something that wasn't there yet. Um, and then the total... Trash you fire say, did you play of Andromeda. Or Andromeda, did you play that? <laughs> I never actually even played I, it. I refused. I've, I've seen plenty of uh, oh, really? uh, uh, like Let's I mean, Plays and things. I but. saw when it first came out, yeah, that looked freaking scary. Like, it was weird. But the whole identity of Mass Effect, right? Well, 
people think I'm very pretentious about talking about the spirit of the work or, uh, or whatever with Final Fantasy. I'm interested in that. I, you want to boil down to like the foundation. Like, what is it really? Yes. You know? I, I'm I interested agree. in that too. I agree. And, yeah. and there is an element of the identity, what it felt like to play mm-hmm. Mass Effect, that does not exist at all in Andromeda. It's not there at all. Mm. And all of the creators had different, I don't want to call it agenda necessarily. A lot of people would say that, um, you know, they had different things that they value, different things that are yeah. important to them to say. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, that, that's totally fine. It's tough to co-opt an existing property that was kind of like saying this or, or trying to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or trying to um, create this type of tone or atmosphere or whatever it may be. And then you're kind of taking an existing thing and you're putting a new creator in charge yeah. who has a different thing they're passionate about right. saying. And it just, it's not that it's invalid inherently, mm-hmm. but that it just doesn't seem to fit right. what people want from this property. Um, someone I was talking to a few months ago gave a pretty interesting um, analogy for this, which is, what if Taco Bell started selling like deep dish Chicago style pizza or something, right? Yeah. Even if it was really good right. deep dish pizza, people aren't going there for deep dish pizza. If yeah. they wanted deep dish pizza, they would think of the pizza place, right? right. You associate brands yeah. with an experience you want from it, yeah. right? And did, so, did you know that Del Taco sells hamburgers? I did not know that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But like, let's or Taco Time. But which like, one? It, it might be uh, I, you know, one of those two sells yeah. hamburgers. Surprisingly good. And an extra <laughs> element to this that I want to add, though, is that it's one thing if they started selling deep dish pizza as mm. an option right. on top of their regular chalupas and tacos right. and burritos, but if they then took away the tacos, burritos. And, t- and chalupas, and they only offered deep dish pizza, that's yeah. when you'd have a real problem. People right. would be really upset by that. Right? Yeah, and then, then the critics would, or the critics of the critics would show up and say, what are you talking about? It's good food. Like, <laughs> exactly. You, you should appreciate the food for what it is. Yeah. And it's called TB now, not Taco Bell. And the, maybe, like, <laughs> maybe, yeah, like the new fans of TB's deep dish pizza. <laughs> Are saying, what yeah. are you guys complaining about? Yeah, it's a good this pizza. This is really good yeah, yeah. pizza. And they might be right. I know. And but that, I want the critique my isn't whether Gordita they're right or crunch. not. I know, exactly. I can't get it anywhere you else. You can't get it anywhere else. That's the that's the point. I right can't there. go to Del Taco who sells something similar. They don't have a Gordita it's Crunch. It's not the same. No. It's not the same thing. Yeah. And I'll never <laughs> get that again because now Del Taco or Taco yeah. Bell is TB yeah. and they only sell <laughs> deep dish pizza. I thought that that, that is see, an apt analogy that's that a great summarizes analogy. what I've been trying to say for I months. I think that's a great analogy because you, even with the argument of but the pizza's good, but Final Fantasy is but Final Fantasy is still really good or whatever, yeah. fine. But it's not Final Fantasy. It's not at least what it was. Um, it's not the same experience. To, to a large degree, yeah. Right? 
So again, not to make too fine a point on that or harp on that yeah. too much. But where else do you go to play Final Fantasy? Right. Like you literally can't go anywhere else. And there are some games that are similar or close. People are talking about Last Story or you made your video about um, the other um, Lost Odyssey. Lost Odyssey. Right? Yeah. And how it's got a, a spirit of Final Fantasy it's as close. well. There's other things that have that, but it's not Final Fantasy. No matter how you spin it, it's still just not Final Fantasy and it can never be and Final Fantasy, if they won't be Final Fantasy, then no one else can be. Yeah. So and it's gone. It's that's, gone forever. That is what Andromeda is. Yeah. That's what the Star Wars Disney sequels kind yes. of are. Yeah. Um, that is what the Hobbit movies mm-hmm. feel like. Absolutely. That is what, uh, I, I, I guess, I, I, I saw Fantastic Beasts. I saw the first two. I, saw I didn't th- hate them. Well, I think that's all that's out. Yeah, they're not like bad. And I, I appreciate that they didn't bring Harry Potter back. I, yeah. I appreciate that they're not doing Harry Potter 30 years old at the Ministry of Magic. Like, let's keep making these movies more and more and more. I like that they let the, the, the books and the movies stay where they are and they're now telling a story from 100 years ago. But it, it is sufficiently different to where I actually don't think of Fantastic Beasts as being Harry Potter at all or even yeah. being in that world. And part of it's because most of it takes place in America. Mm-hmm. So you don't even have that British accent, you know. You don't. I know, like Dumbledore's in it. He's um, that really good actor. I love him. J- J- Jude Law. Oh, Jude Law. Yeah. Jude Law. Love him. Um, but for the most part, it takes place in America, and people are American, and you've still got some spells, but they use different words. Like the word "muggle" isn't really even used. They have a different word. Yeah. Uh, I think they say "nomad." Yeah. Which I don't like as much. <laughs> it's just not as cool, I guess. Um, but it doesn't feel like Harry Potter at all to me. Yeah. It, do you think that as well? No, I... Because I, I don't feel the I'm Harry Potter sh- there. I don't get I'm it. I'm not sure how I feel about that because yeah. I do still feel like there's kind of that wacky, magical yeah. nature to it. And it's but, mostly the, the main character. But the, the characters yeah. are what made Harry Potter oh, yeah. special. Yeah, right? yeah. It wasn't necessarily And the team, world. kind of. The, it was the those team. characters. And right. it is missing that aspect, yes. for sure. Um but uh, beyond that, I mean, I, I think there are probably a lot of people who would make the argument that she's lost her touch with Fantastical Beasts versus Harry Potter. People or maybe lost her touch somewhere along the way or something Because she like has that. written other books. In fact, yeah. she's got a book that I think came out this month yeah. about some cop that, like, goes undercover. Oh, this is it's a weird premise. He, like, I think he dresses as a woman, or it's a woman who dresses as a man and catches people in kind of like a... There's a weird like disguise kind of thing, oh, but okay. a lot of people were ripping on it for. And uh, the, her first book she released after Harry Potter, she didn't even use her name. She uh, used a fake name. Like a but alternate. one of her friends or somebody let the let secret out, and, and then the book flew off the shelves. But the book wasn't selling well before people knew. At least that's my understanding. I don't know if that's true or not, but that once people found out it was J.K. Rowling, then the book flew off. She didn't want that. She wanted to see what would happen if her yeah. own writing would work without just without her name being attached to it. Yeah. Um, but this new one, her name I think is attached to it, and she's still writing books. None of them are, are like Harry Potter. Now I haven't read them, yeah. but none of them have the acclaim that Harry Potter has. Now there is another element to this where perhaps the license or the property wasn't co-opted and given to someone else necessarily. Mm. She retains quite a bit of control over her. Like, like her, right? Yeah, including or, the movies and everything. Or even like the fact that Ridley Scott has done so many alien uh, films yeah, or yeah. within that franchise with Prometheus, Prometheus Alien Covenant. Covenant yeah. Um, but still, they're just yeah. not 
They're not alien? No, not even close. <laughs> not even close. They're not bad movies, though. Like, Prometheus yeah. actually was a pretty cool movie. Yeah. But, but, but when you watch Alien, you go back and watch the it's original so Alien. Much oh my gosh, that's a great movie. Yeah. That is a great that's movie. That's a masterclass movie. Oh, absolutely. Alien. Absolutely. And somehow, I I'd actually don't agree, but I can at least mm. give or, you know, allow people to have the opinion that Aliens the is James also Cameron there, even though it's yeah. James Cameron. I don't like Aliens as much. Me neither. Some people think that's the better movie. Well, but Sigourney Weaver is very good in that movie, yes. I think. And so her performance is still good. So I think that's why a lot of people still think that it's, it yeah. works. But Alien yeah. is like a, one of those lightning in a bottle, all-time yeah, yeah. great science fiction horror films. It's just like, holy crap, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Kind of like The Thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, John Carpenter's The Thing or something like that. Where it's just like, back in the day, this yeah. is just this Whoa. is just really, really good. And yeah. super advanced for its time. Star Wars gets all mm -hmm. the credit for yeah. how he approached shooting space battles and yeah, things. Yeah. But you watch Alien and like those yeah. shots of the spaceship and stuff, they yeah, look especially at the beginning. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Very well done. The models and like yeah. the way it was shot, phenomenal. It looks great to this day. Blade Runner as well did really well with that. I think some of those visual effects yeah. And those movies look better than movies today. Well, yeah, and the, the, the matte paintings and stuff they <laughs> yeah. did with the with the city backgrounds and stuff, those look very good in Blade Runner. Freaking great. Yeah. But anyways, Ridley Scott has still, to a large degree, had a lot of freedom to work within that yeah. IP and hasn't ever really matched the the, the first movie yeah. he put out. Well, think so, about it. Alien was released 41 years ago, yeah. I think. So it's been, it's been a long time. I mean, he's getting older. Well, and Ridley Scott has been up and down yeah. throughout his career. I mean, Gl mm. Gladiator's another one of those all-time oh, amazing, yeah. that's right. great masterclass movies. Yeah, that's a very good But movie. then, like, he'll release something and it's kind of just like, this is just, huh. it's just not that great. It's yeah. just okay or whatever. I f kind of felt that way about Prometheus, for example. Right. There are other examples. But that's kind of what I'm talking about, uh, to wrap it back to the beginning again, is mm. I don't think you can, I don't think you can just repeatedly Yes. Just so, so masterclass. Master there, there's some <laughs> level of inevitability here yeah. that this will happen. Like yeah. you will lose steam. Your your work will not be as good. Once you put that much of your life into something, you cannot then go and do the same to something else. You just can't. Like physically, it's not possible. Um, and well, unless you're crazy, so there you go. But that's part of it, right? Part of getting to that level is being kind of crazy. Sort of repeating or staying at that top level. For a longer time. For a time. long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some of the writers a, you mentioned, yeah. A Michael Jordan or a yes. <laughs> Steve Jobs or yeah. somebody like that. Somebody right. like that. Somebody who literally just does not care what happens. And they'll step on people. They'll, you know, do whatever they need to do to, to make it work. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what it takes for, for some people. But I think there is a level of inevitability. And I think as soon as a franchise tries to do something different, not anything different, but like... Once they try to be too different, and I know that's a relative term because that could mean anything, but you can pinpoint where a lot of these things went wrong. And um, once a franchise decides, like, hey, let's reinvent or let's do something new, um, that's often when it's like there's no going back from that. Mm -hmm. And part of, part of being crazy is, yeah, well, some ideas are crazy enough to work. Uh, but then you just keep pushing the crazy and eventually, like as some people, like with Hironobu Sakaguchi, it's like, well, every new Final Fantasy is a different world it's a different story it's completely different every time right 
Well, that gives people the license to be like, well, if it's different every time, then and we can, we can just keep making it different. different or, or, but it's like, no, you can't make it completely different every <laughs> time. It does still need something to to attach, right? So you you can't. I'd say that's because I'm, the the thing that's coming to my mind right now is actually Legend of Zelda and how often they have been able to reinvent what it is and they never lose people. I actually wanted to bring that up. That's weird though. That's not normal. <laughs> that's unusual, yeah. don't you think? Mario and Zelda, yes. somehow. Reinventing like crazy, but have, maintaining spirit. And they've passed into other people's hands too. Yes, many times. But in fact, Miyamoto, I, he's, gonna get, he's gonna be retiring very soon here. Yeah. And in fact, even now, he doesn't have as much control over Zelda as he used to. Yeah about exactly what the specific story is and how things look. He's not that involved anymore. Yeah, it's so it's Al already kind, kind of, of past his... Yeah. Aonuma is sort of like just yeah, taking Aonuma. it over. And even and it, when Miyamoto is retired, Aonuma is going to kind of move up into it. And even Aonuma said that with Breath of the Wild, that, that he kind of let this new team kind of go to work because they're really um, trying to like raise up the next minds. generation. Yeah. yeah, and they passed Which Mario into the hands of that one guy, younger guy. Um, he's on the direct. Yeah, because it was stuff. Tezuka, but you're right. The, um... Yeah, that guy. The he, guy. He's the one who introduced Odyssey. And yes. I forget his name. I like but him. He's, he's in the charge new direct of Mario guy. Now. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And so and yeah, that's, Nintendo, that's Nintendo has had, it looks like they're going into a second stage of yes. transition almost. They but had a, they're being so smart about it. Yeah, and Zelda, I, I didn't <clears> like, <throat> Breath of the Wild's not my favorite Zelda game. Mm. But and there are a lot of things about it that feel yeah. like perhaps they lost some sense sure. of the spirit of Zelda with the more traditional yeah. dungeons and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, some of that. But... In my opinion, throughout the course of that series' mm. evolution over time, it has been able to maintain an identity, yeah. even in the hands of different creators. Mario the same way. So, and maybe you could say it's easier, like those games aren't as, they're, they're more designed in the traditional game design sense in that you start with a gameplay concept first right and you build that's what they do yeah things around that and and there's kind of a story comes second yeah, yeah and yeah. it's not like necessarily um like a driving force of the game right, right. so like it, it's easier i would say to maintain mm. the spirit of mario yes. than it is to maintain <laughs> the spirit of final fantasy which right. the definition of that is so much harder to really zero in on yeah Mario after is so many games. a platformer with this kind of goofy mushroom kingdom <laughs> motif. You can do anything that can with be that. Very wacky. Yeah, yeah. Almost like any kind of idea can really work. Right. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's just there's a lot more. It's a looser sort of like. Mm. <laughs> I guess I'm contradicting myself there. It's hard to it's, explain. It's hard to explain, but it's <laughs> easier to. Maintain, I feel mm. like what Mario is right. versus what Final Fantasy. I think it's more complex to make a Final Fantasy game than yeah. a Mario game per se. And maybe that's yeah. me not being a game designer <laughs> yeah, saying that, but that's my speculation. Yeah. Uh, because Mario games aren't as long or as expansive or as detailed. Yeah. Um, the mechanics are not as complex, um, and you know, it's really just about what powers can we think of mm. for Mario this time? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In a platforming level, verse, and, and how, would that, how would we design the stage to like yeah. supplement that versus like characters and combat mechanics and yeah. level progression systems and it's all different. this math. It's different. Yeah, <laughs> right? it's a whole different kind of thing. Yeah. 
Anyways, I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does. But, but I, I, still, I still do think that at some point they're going to lose it. They're going to do something wrong. Probably. I don't, because I do think there is an inevitability here. Like, it does happen, and it has to happen. It's like a something. law of nature. It will happen. Right. Something will happen. Somebody will do something, and they will never be able to get back to what they were. Yeah. I think some people... Well, I actually, I think I kind of know what might be that for Zelda. And I think you disagree with me here. So this might be interesting. Um, Allowing players to customize Link to play as maybe not Link. To have a customizable character. Or like the male-female thing. Or like to just pick who your main character is going to be. As opposed to this is your main character. Hmm. Having the user pick it. Because once you introduce that, you can't take it away. Um... I think you could, but I don't think it depends so. on how well. I don't think received. so. No, no. Well, think politically. <laughs> what if Legend of Zelda was like, "Hey, we're gonna let you. Ha- we're gonna have the female Link." What if people are like, "Hey, well, Link loses identity." I'm not making an argument here. I'm not being political necessarily. <laughs> I'm just saying, what happens if Nintendo at some future point says, "Oh, we got a killer story that we want to tell, where it's Link and and Princess Zelda, and this is super cool, and we're gonna tell this story now." Oh, but your last game you let players play as the female Link. This one, the story won't necessarily allow that. You can't go back without creating a massive controversy that the the female play playable characters being taken out. So I think once they do it, they have to Commit keep to doing it forever. Every game has I to be that. And I think that'll slowly wear down at what Zelda is. I think there is a valid point in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I, I do I do agree that there will be pressure, external pressure, Massive. once like something is introduced mm-hmm. that if you were to take it away, it could look politically incorrect to do so. Yes. I think that I think that you're on to something with that. Um, my counterpoint to that would be that I don't know necessarily that it's a direct counterpoint, but like Final Fantasy, for instance, mm-hmm. with Final Fantasy three, they went into this wide character customization idea with with right, multiple um, jobs and, and job changing, right? Mm. And when they were developing Final Fantasy IV, Sakaguchi and Tokita were really ready with the Super Nintendo to have a, a deeper, more involved storyline. And they said, it would make no sense hmm. for us to allow you to choose Cecil's class. Oh, right, yeah. Because the story hinges on him being a dark knight who is willing to kill innocents for the sake of his king. Right. And having a redemption arc where he becomes a paladin, right? Right. Like, the story doesn't work if you turn him into a white mage. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Or some kind of magic user or something. Yeah. So they said, the story is taking precedence here. We have to turn back to a linear character progression again, mm-hmm. right? And there was some uh, negative feedback they got from that. Because Final right. Fantasy III in Japan was really popular for its mm. job change system. It was the first of its kind. Uh, Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest III had, had class changing, but not to the scale or, yeah. or, or quite the same um, way that Final Fantasy did. Final Fantasy really like, took it to the next level. Mm. And it, it's what made it very popular in a lot of ways. The, 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 the jobs of Final Fantasy, like Black Mage, and there's very iconic 
yes. sort of like imagery in that, right? Yeah. That gives it some of its identity. So the, the, the shift backwards, they hoped they could compensate by introducing the ATB system. Mm. So it was like the ATB is like, it's not a, a, a straight um, turn-based thing, right? Where it's like, you, you just take as much time as you want going through your menus, yeah. select all your actions, and then the turn will play out. Right. It was like, it's live Some all the time. Some enemies attack quicker if than you, others. If you, yeah. don't, if you don't make a selection, the enemy's gonna get their turn and they're gonna attack you again. Yeah, so you gotta yeah. be quicker. They hoped that that sort of like new aspect would sort of like make up for mm. this kind of return to a basic linear mm. character progression. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily an equivalent example of what you're talking about, right. but there could be a way to step back on a major change like that if there's something to replace it that is also novel or um, maybe like pushes it in a different way. Mm. Um, but I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if, I, if I'm necessarily interested in being able to customize the character to be f f male or female. I think they already have what they need to have mm. a male and female character have equal representation in the game. Just make Zelda playable. But, to some degree, <laughs> but but is but that that is kind of my point though is that 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 does kind of go against what Zelda has been I guess up to this point because sure. once you make Zelda playable you can't make her not playable again later like the damsel in distress again yeah well not just damsel in distress just she's not she's not there she she may be somewhere else or even like in um like Wind Waker she's not necessarily the damsel in distress but she's not the main person in the story and and you could switch it around but she she plays a different role in the story and I, it's it's just different I, I don't know exactly how to how to say I can it, see what you're saying but that there it's could just be different. there could be some point of and no you, return you literally can't do it anymore. where you can't go back to yeah. like the the original format of the Zelda Ganon link yes dynamic. or or even in the future if you want to innovate a different way we want to tell a cool a different story we want to tell a really uh, we have a unique story about Link and just whatever. Something happening where Link's the main character. You just will get so much flack for doing that now. Like imagine if, because um, I've heard they might do this, I don't know if this is really gonna happen or not, but Captain America, that um, Chris Evans isn't going to be playing the part anymore and that they might have a, a woman play that part now. Mm. Um, will they then be able to go back to having a man play Captain America? after a woman is Captain America because then you're replacing, you're just going, you're going, you're doing something that politically is not considered. We're going off on a terrible tangent. <laughs> you know? I just, I just want to put the point out there that I, there are certain changes that you can't go back from. I think uh, messing with the character, with the icon of the game and, and the main playable character is, is one of those changes. I am not Possibly. convinced that you can't ever go back. And mm. I will point to Spider-Man as an example. Uh, Spider-Man has mm -hmm. the Miles Mor Morales kid version of Spider-Man, mm. the um, Peter Parker Spider-Man. Uh, Miles Morales is a, a black kid, I think. Mm. And, and they they have like a multiverse of Spider-Mans, right? I've heard of them. And, and then yeah, yeah. Peter Parker was replaced by a different kid for a while, and I forget his name, but everyone hated him. And they wanted Peter Parker back, so they brought Peter Parker back. <laughs> Anyways. I, I would, I, I'm not gonna go on a, like in depth on this because I'm not like as knowledgeable about comic books and stuff. Mm. But I think Spider-Man is an example where they have been able to diversify the character's race or whatever mm -hmm. without like trampling over or abandoning the original character and still being free to bring the original character back whenever they want to. 
And I think that, that there's a way to handle that with Captain America, possibly with Zelda, where you wouldn't necessarily close the door on mm. doing it in a traditional way. Um, but I do think that there is something to be said about pressure once you've m- taken mm. a step, making sure that's a step you want to take without right. the lash, the, the, the fan lashback yes. if you decide to not pursue that in a future game or something like that. Actually, uh, I, have an, I kind of have an example of this, and this does go with a little bit with what we were saying about Death of the Innovator, because this yeah. is J.K. Rowling, this is like her current situation, where um, she kind of put herself in a position where she um, was willing to change her work post, not posthumously, what's the word? Post work, mm-hmm. usly, um, <laughs> she she would she would go back and say, oh well, actually this is how this yeah, was. And the, uh, I make these changes and this so changes. Annoying. This change, right <laughs> now, it is annoying because I don't like I didn't like it when George Lucas did that. I don't like it when anyone does that. They go back and they change things about their work that's done and say, okay, well, the, um, so uh, J.K. Rowling wrote um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, whatever the yeah. play, right? Mm-hmm. And and the play has there's. Um, uh, Hermione Granger is black, right? And so it's like, okay. And J.K. Rowling's whole thing was that was like, oh, well, I never said she wasn't black. Mm. And it's like, well, well, I guess I don't know. Okay, um, maybe not. I never. I just read the books. Okay, well, whatever. Terrible. But and then this. and then Gandalf is gay, and then Donald Trump is Voldemort. Whatever. Dumbledore. She, Dumbledore she, is she gay. does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And so um, she she kind of she's willing to do what the fans want her to do, but then all of a sudden. This the, the, and people will be aware of this. It's been in the news and just all over in social media that she she isn't willing to budge for one specific group of people that are clamoring. It's the transgender community. They're clamoring for clamor. I use I'm using a word that maybe I don't want to put any negative connotation on. connotation on it. They're they're asking politely <laughs> to be represented in her work somewhere, <laughs> and and basically she's saying no. And, and it, it brings up the weird question amongst a lot of her fan base, which is like, wait a second. When these people were like, oh, what about us? You acquiesced. When these people were like, oh, what about us? You acquiesced. When these people are like, oh, what about this situation? You, you, you did it. Why aren't you doing it this time? Yeah. She's put herself in this weird situation by changing her previous works when people will uh, pressure her to do it. She will give in to the pressure, yeah. and then she put her in this self in this position where she can't get out of that now. Like, and now she's she's uncancelable. She's rich. She's she's you know Harry Potter is basically done. I think that's why she just doesn't care anymore. She's like whatever. I don't care. Um, but it's weird when you you think that you understand that where she's going. She she's willing to do these things. Then it makes you feel like oh if she's not willing to do this thing. Yeah. Then she must hate these people. Yeah. Right. Like, there's no other explanation for. It. And as far as I, when I, I, as an outsider looking in who doesn't give a fudge about any of this, I'm just like, yeah. Why? Why are you stopping here? <laughs> you went all the way to appease all of these different groups and people, and and then you stop right here. What's wrong with these? You yeah. must like it makes me even. I think I'm like, yeah, maybe she really does have some that issue inner prejudice with these certain types of people. And I, it's like. It's weird, but that's what happens when you start giving in to, to the audience kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's part of why Death of the Author is a thing that um, some people are really into. Yeah. Because they're like, I don't like what the author says or Represents does or whatever, or whatever. afterwards. Yeah. And so we talk about Death of the Innovator and whether it's a thing or not. Um, there's an argument for it, but... I personally really like looking into the authors specifically and seeing what they have to say and why they did this, why they did that. Yeah. Um, I think it's fascinating. 
Um, but you, you're playing a, a difficult game when you're allowing the author so much power because they have the they have that potential where they could change their work a little bit and say, well, actually, I meant this when I wrote that. And, and it kind of it throws everything for a loop. And then you get pigeonholed where you, you, once you start making, this is what happened to George Lucas, you start making changes, you don't stop. <laughs> you just keep changing things and you keep adding stuff in and the new, the Blu-ray release. Okay, what can we change about Star Wars A New Hope again for the fifth time? Okay, like you don't have to do any changes, yeah. but he can't help himself because that's the position he put himself in. Crazy. This episode has been just tangent after tangent, but <laughs> I, I do believe there's something there with Legend of Zelda. People start making changes. You get into a spot where you just can't go back. Okay, so this is the last thing I'll say on this topic, and I think we can wrap it up. <laughs> okay. And it is that there's, um, there's an intent that is, I think, plainly transparent with J.K. Rowling for the reasons why she was sort of like posthumously, as you say, changing <laughs> character yeah. bios almost. Yeah. Right? And and it, it, it's clearly driven. The intent is to appear like woke or something about sure. that particular issue or that minority or something. Yes. It's not because she laid those relevant details even in a... Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Dumbledore might be the one exception to this, where where there might have been a, a hint that is subtle enough to where yeah. you could accept that as being possibly the original intention. Where she claims, yeah, that's that's what I envisioned the whole time. That's the one yeah. where I say, okay, maybe I can see that. Maybe. Hermione being African American mm -hmm. or something, Clearly not, since she was also involved in the creation of the films. Right, she was involved with casting and all that. And yeah. all that stuff. So, yeah. But a lot of it feels like she's just doing it mm. to like win points. Yeah. Right? Why doesn't she care about these other points, though? Exactly, because <laughs> then she's crossing into a place where she actually believes something. Right that people don't agree with. And no one <laughs> needed to know this. She just put herself in a, in she, a dumb situation. She did it's not, her own fault. She did not do this for artistic or creative reasons. Yes. She did it for that reasons outside of the work. Yeah. And I think when you approach your decisions about the work mm. from the outside, mm. you will run into the problems you're talking about. Okay. I think when you approach those decisions from within the work and they're they're driven by consistency congruency and and real reasons that apply to the work uh, I don't want to use the word working <laughs> the, the, the 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 piece mm. being effective right <laughs> that you will find sort of a different um, outcome right uh, and again, I point to the Miles Morales, Peter Parker, Spider-Man situation okay, yeah. as being a version of that mm -hmm. versus what J.K. Rowling did with Harry Potter being the wrong way to do it. With the way that Mass Effect was handled by the Andromeda team being the wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's being done for the wrong reasons, for external reasons, not for reasons that make the story or the game stronger. And so I think there's yeah. a lot of nuance in the topic. I think there's a lot of creative or innovative thinking mm. 
when it's being done for the right reasons where you can make these things work and where even you could not include something next time and it still be acceptable. But it is something that needs to be carefully considered because you can trap yourself and fan expectation can change over time and there can be external pressures that if you're not willing to deal with those or aren't prepared to deal with those in um, a tactful way that you can hurt yourself and your property and mm. a lot of things over time. And we see that happen more often than we'd like, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but I feel like a lot of the pressure comes from a top down. Yeah, that separates like, the masters. This is what the kids want these days on Twitter. Let's yeah. make our game do that. Yeah, and it's not a. It's not. It doesn't come from the right place. That's what separates the masters from the greats, from the goods, from the yeah. bads. Right? Is their ability to navigate all those complexities and mm. and put their energy into it to solve the problems to such a degree to where yeah you figured it out you solved that puzzle good job you found an outside the box way of tackling that that is new and fresh innovative pushes things forward satisfies majority of the audience is tactful and and thoughtful and uh, not very many people are capable of that or at least mm. aren't willing to put in the energy yes to accomplish yeah some people like might be plenty capable in fact, some people listening to this podcast right now, you might be plenty capable. It's all about putting the work in. Yeah. And that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Yeah, somebody said this a while ago, ideas are cheap. Like, you might have a good idea. Yeah. That I, Ideas are cheap. You, execution. It's all about it's, execution. It's my argument, yeah. and it has been for at least three years on this channel, the difference <laughs> between an idea and the execution of the idea. Mm. And some people are more forgiving of execution than I am. I'm very, very... I have a high standard of execution and things, which is why I tend to be very critically minded. But um, it, it, it's true. It's easy to come up with an idea. It's mm. a lot, lot harder to make it work amongst a multitude of other ideas mm. <laughs> in this grand epic scheme or world or whatever you're creating. And um, anyways, that's what separates the masters from the chaff. From the not masters. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Hopefully it was controversial enough for you. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize ahead of time. If you disagree, <laughs> dislike and hate on us in the comments, and we will... I'll read it. I don't know if Kason reads it anymore. I read the comments. Every, every now and I then. respond. I debate I sometimes. <laughs> I probably go a little further than I should. But, um, hey, it's all part of learning, man. It's all part of growth as a community, as people, as individuals, or whatever. New ideas. Yeah. Share them. Uh, argue in good faith, debate in good faith, and hopefully we'll get closer to what the truth is. Yeah. Oh, but also, if you didn't like it, you can dislike the video, but if you did like it, you could like <laughs> you the You could video. also <laughs> like the video. That's a choice, too. <laughs> An invitation. Just like and subscribe? Yeah, yeah, like and subscribe. <laughs> Smash that button. Smash it, man. We'll see you guys next right, time. Thanks. Next time, remember, we're going to be diving into a new format for the podcast. Yeah. We're going to be... Uh, Starting a long-form analysis of whatever game you choose in the straw poll that is in the description. Go choose Final Fantasy X or Final Fantasy VIII or Terranigma or what were the other ones I said? Uh, Suikoden. Suikoden. And Star Ocean 2. There you go. Those are the five. Which one do you want? Choose. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out.